Chapter 64 Stubbs' Supper Stubbs' whale had been killed some distance from the ship. It was so calm, so a forming tandem of three boats, we commenced the slow business of towing the trophy to the Pequod. And now, as we eighteen men with our thirty-six arms and one hundred and eighty thumbs and fingers slowly toiled hour after hour upon that inert, sluggish corpse in the sea, and it seemed hardly to budge at all, except all long intervals. Good evidence was hereby furnished of the enormousness of the mass we moved, for upon the great canal of Hangho, or whatever they call it in China, four or five laborers on the footpath will draw a bulky freighted junk at the rate of a mile an hour, but this grand agressy we towed heavily forged along, as if laden with piglet in bulk. Darkness came on, but three lights up and down in the Pequod's main rigging dimly guided our way, till drawing near we saw Ahab dropping one several more lanterns over the bulwarks. Vacantly eyeing the heaving whale for a moment, he issued the usual orders for securing it for the night, and then, handing his lantern to his seaman, went his way into the cabin, and did not come forward again until morning. Though, in the overseeing the pursuit of this whale, Captain Ahab had evinced his customary activity, to call it so, yet now that the creature was dead, some vague dissatisfaction or impatience or despair seemed working in him, as if the sight of that dead body reminded him that Moby Dick was yet to be slain, and though a thousand other whales were brought to that ship, all that would not one jot advance his grand, monomaniac object. Very soon, you would have thought from the sound of the Pequod's decks that all hands were preparing to cast anchor in the deep, for heavy chains are being dragged along the deck and thrust rattling out of portholes. But by those clanking links, the vast corpse itself, not the ship, is to be moored. Tied by the head of the stern and by the tail to the bow, the whale now lies with its black hull close to the vessels, and seen through the darkness of the night, which obscured the spars and riggings aloft, the two, ship and whale, seemed yoked together like a colossal bullocks, thereof reclines while the other remains standing. A little item may as well be related here. The strongest and most reliable hold which the ship has upon the whale when moored alongside is by the fluke or tail, and as from the greater density that part is relatively heavier than any other excepting the side fins, its flexibility even in death causes it to sink low beneath the surface, so that with the hand you cannot get at it from the boat, in order to put the chain around it. But this difficulty is ingeniously overcome. A small strong line is prepared with a wooden float at the outer end, with a little weight in the middle, while the other end is secured to the ship. By adroit management, the wooden float is to rise on the other side of the mass, so that now having girdled the main whale, the chain is readily made to follow suit, and being slipped along the body, is at last locked fast round the smallest part of the tail, at the point of junction with its broad flukes or lobes. If Moody Ahab was now all quescence, at least so far as could be known on the deck, Stubb, his second mate, flushed with conquest, betrayed an unusual but still good-natured excitement. Such an un... Such an unwanton bustle was he in that that said... Such an unwanted bustle was he in that that stayed Starbuck, his official superior, quietly resigned to him for the time the sole management of affairs... One small helping cause of all this liveliness in Stubb was soon made strangely manifest. Stubb was a high liver. 
he was somewhat intemperately fond of the whale as a flavorishly thing to his palate. A steak, a steak, ere I sleep. You, Degoo, overboard, you go, and cut me one of his small. Here be it known that though these wild fishermen do not as a general thing, and, according to the great military maxim, make the enemy defray the current expenses of the war, at least before realizing the proceeds of the voyage, yet now and then you find some of these Nantucketers who have a genuine relish for that particular part of the sperm whale, designated by Stubb, comprising the tapering extremity of the body. About midnight, that steak was cut and cooked, and lighted by two lanterns of sperm oil. Stubb stoutly stood up to his spermaceti supper at the capstan head, as if that capstan were a sideboard. Nor was Stubb the only banqueteur that whale's flesh that night. Mingling their mumblings with his own mastication, thousands on thousands of sharks, swarming round the dead leviathan, smacking, feasting on its fatness. The few sleepers below in their bulks were often startled by the sharp slapping of their tails against the hull, within a few inches of the sleepers' hearts. Peering over the side, you could just see them, as before you heard them, wallowing in the sullen black waters, and turning on their backs as they scooped out huge gobular pieces of the whale of the bigness of a human head. This particular feat of the shark seemed all but miraculous. How, with such an apparent unassailable surface, they contrived to gouge out such symmetrical mouthfuls remains a part of the universal problem of all things. The mark they thus leave on the whale may best be likened to the hollow made of a carpenter in countersinking for a screw. Though amid all the smoking horror and diabolism of the sea fight, sharks will be seen longingly gazing up to the ship's deck, like hungry dogs round a table where red meat is being carved, ready to bolt down every killed man that is tossed to them. And though, while the valiant butcher over the deck tables are thus cannibally carving each other's live meat with carving knives all gilded and tasseled, the sharks also, with their jewel-hilted mouths, are quarrelsomely craving away under the table at the dead meat. And though, were you to turn the whole affair upside down, it would still be pretty much the same thing that is to say, a shocking sharkish business, enough for all parties. And though sharks also are invariable outriders of all slave ships crossing the Atlantic, systematically trotting alongside to be handy in a case a parcel is to be carried away, or a dead slave to be decently buried, and though one or two other like instances might be set down, touching the set terms, places, and occasions, when sharks do most socially congregate, the most hilariously feast. Yet, is there no conceivable time or occasion when you will find them in such countless numbers, and in gayer or more jovial spirits than around a dead sperm whale, moored by night to a whale ship at sea? If you have ever seen that sight, then suspend your decision about the property of devil worship, and the expediency of counselating the devil. But, as yet, Stubb heeded not the mumblings of the banquet that was going on so nigh him, no more than the sharks heeded the smackings of his own epicurean lips. "'Cook! Cook! Where's that old fleece?' he cried at length, widening his legs still further, as if to form a more secure base for his supper, and, at the same time darting his fork into the dish, as if stabbing with his lance. "'Cook, you cook! Sail this way, cook!' The old black, not in any very high glee at having been previously routed from his warm hammock at the most unseasonable hour, came shambling along from his galley, 
For, like many old blacks, there was something the matter with his knee pains, which he did not keep well scoured like his other pains. This old fleece, as they called him, came shuffling and limping along, assisting his step with his tongs, which, after a clumsy fashion, were made of straightened iron hoops. This old ebony floundered along, and in obedience to the word of command, came to a dead stop on the opposite side of Stubb's sideboard, when, with both hands folded before him and resting on his two-legged cane, he bowed his arched back still further over, at the same time sideways inclining his head, so as to best bring his ear into play. "'Cook,' said Stubb, rapidly lifting a rather reddish morsel to his mouth, "'don't you think this steak is rather overdone?' You've been beating the steak too much, Cook. It's too tender. I don't always say that to be good. A steak whale must be tough. There are those sharks now over the side. Don't you see they prefer it tough and rare? What a shindy they are kicking up. Cook, go talk to them. Tell them they are welcome to help themselves civilly, and in moderation, but they must be kept quiet. Blast me, if I can only hear my own voice. Anyway, Cook, and deliver my message. Here, take this lantern. Snatching one from his sideboard. And then... Go and preach to him. Sullenly, taking the offered lantern, Old Fleece limped across the deck to the bulwarks, and then, with one hand dropping his light over the sea so as to get a good view of his congregation, with the other hand he solemnly flourished his tongs, and leaning far over the side in a mumbling voice began addressing the sharks, while Stubb, softly crawling behind, overheard all that was said. Fellow critters! I see ordered here to say that you must stop that damn noise there. You hear? Stop that damn smackin'. Be de lip. Massa Stub say that that can fill your damn bellies up to be hatching. But for gar, you must stop that damn racket. Cook, here interposed Stub, accompanying the word with a sudden slap on the shoulder. Cook, why damn your eyes? You mustn't swear that way when you're preaching. That's no way to convert sinners, Cook. Who dat? Then preach to him yourself, sullenly turning to go. No, cook, go on, go on. Well, then, bedubbed fellow critters. Right, exclaimed Stubb approvingly. Coax it to him, try that. And Fleece continued. Do you is all sharks, and by your nature wary warashity, yet I say to you, fellow critters, dat dat voraciousness, dop dat damn slappin' or be tail. How do you think you hear, suppose you keep up a damn slappin' and a bitin' dare? Cook, cried Stubb, collaring him, I won't have that swearin'. Talk to him gentlemanly. Once more the sermon proceeded. Your voraciousness, fellow critters, I don't blame you so much. Dat is nature, and can't be helped. Be a gobberin' dat wicker nature. Dat is pint. You is sharks, startin', but you be gobberin' de sharks in you, and den you be angel, for an angel is nothin' more than de shark well gobberned. Well, look here, brethren. Just try once to be chibble. Be helpin' yourselves, be dat whale. Don't be tearin' de blubber out of your neighbor's mouth, I say. Is not old shark, is not one shark dood right as tender or dat whale, and by guard Nornayurt has de right of dat whale. Dat whale belong to someone else. Oh, I know some of you has very big mouth, brigger than others, and den big brig mouths sometimes has to small bellies, so that the briggers do's the mouth of the swaller wid. But the bite off the blubber for the small fry o' marks, dat can't get into scourge to help themselves. Well done, old fleece, cried Stubb. That's Christianity. Go now. 
No use going on. De damn Willems will keep us scarring and slapping each other. Massa Stub, they don't hear one word. No use preaching to such gl- damn gluttons, as you call them, till their bellies is full, and their bellies is bottomless. And when they go em full, they don't hear from them. For they then sink into the sea, go fast to the sleep under the coral, and can't hear nothing at all, no more, for ever and ever. Upon my soul, I am about the same opinion. So give the benediction, Fleece. I'll go away to my supper. Upon this, Fleece, holding both hands over the fishy mob, raised his shrill voice and cried, Cussed fellow critters, kicked up the damnedest row as ever you can, fill your damn bellies till they burst, and then die. Now, Cook, said Stubb, resuming his supper at the capstan, Stand just where you stood before, there, over against me, and pay particular attention. All dention, said Fleece, again stooping over upon his tongs in the desired position. Well, said Stubb, helping himself freely meanwhile, I shall now go back to the subject of the stake. In the first place, how old are you, Cook? What that got to do with Tweak? said the old black testily. Silence, how old are you, Cook? About ninety, they say he gloomily muttered. And have you lived in the world hard upon one hundred years, Cook, and you don't know how to cook a whale steak? Rapidly bolting into their mouthful in the last word, so that the morsel seemed a continuation of the question. Where were you born, Cook? Hind in the hatchway in a ferry boat going to Roanoke. Born in a ferry boat? That's queer, too. But I want to know what country you were born in, Cook. Didn't I say Roanoke country, sir? He cried sharply. No, you didn't, Cook, but I'll tell you what I'm coming to, Cook. You must go home and be born over again. You don't know how to cook a whale steak yet. Breast my soul if I ever cook another one, he growled angrily, turning round to depart. Come back, Cook. Here, hand me these tongs. Now, take that bit of steak there and tell me if you think that steak cooked as it should be. Take it, I say, holding the tongs towards him. Take it and taste it. Faintly smacking his withered lips over it for a moment, the old negro muttered, Best cook take I ever taste. Juicy, very juicy. Cook, said Stubb, squaring himself once more. Do you belong to the church? Passed one once in Cape Town, said the old man sullenly. And you have once in your life passed a holy church in Cape Town, where you doubtless overheard a holy person addressing his hearers and his beloved fellow creatures, have you, Cook? And yet you come here and tell me such a dreadful lie as you did just now, eh? said Stubb. Where do you expect to go to, Cook? Go to bed very soon, he mumbled, half-turning as he spoke. Avast, heave to. I mean, when you die, it's an awful question. Now, what's your answer? When this old brackman dies said the negro slowly, changing his whole air and demeanor. He himself won't go nowhere, but some breast angel will come and fetch him. Fetch him? How? In a coach and four, as they fetched Elijah, and fetch him where? Up there, said Fleece, holding his tongue straight over his head and keeping it up there solemnly. So then, you expect to go into your main top, do you, Cook? When you were dead. But don't you know the higher you climb, the colder it gets? Mountain top, eh? Main top, eh? Didn't say dat at all, said Fleece again in the sulks. You set up there, didn't you? And now look at yourself, and see where your tongs are pointing. But perhaps you expect to get into heaven by crawling through the lubber's hole. 
Cook, but no, no, Cook, you don't get there, except you go the regular way, round by the rigging. It's a ticklish business, but you must be done, or else it's a no-go, and none of you are in heaven yet. Drop your tongs, Cook, and hear my orders, do you hear? Hold your hat in one hand, and clapped over the top of your heart, when I'm giving my orders, Cook. What's that in your heart, there? That's your gizzard, aloft, aloft. That's it. Now you have it. Hold it there, and pay attention. All attention said the old black with both hands placed as desired, vainly wriggling his grizzled head as if to get both ears in front of one and the other at the same time. Well then, cook, you see the whale stick of yours was so very bad that I have put it out of my sight as soon as possible. You see that, don't you? Well, for the future, when you cook another whale steak for my private table here, the capstan, I'll tell you what to do so as not to spoil it by overdoing it. Hold the steak in one hand and show a live coal to it with the other. That done, dish it, you hear? And now, tomorrow cook, when we are cutting in fish, be sure you stand by to get the tips of his fins. Have them put in a pickle. As for the end of the flukes, have them soused, cook. There, now you may go. But Fleece had hardly got three paces off when he was recalled. Cook, give me cutlets for supper tomorrow night, in the mid-watch, do you hear? A whale you sail then. Hallo, stop. Make a bow before you go, a vast heaving again. Whale balls for breakfast, don't forget. Wish by gore, whale meet him. Stead of a meat whale, I'm breast if he ain't more to shark than to massa shark himself, muttered the old man limping away. With each sage ejaculation he went to his hammock. Thanks for listening to Moby Dick Pod. If you've liked what you've heard so far, consider subscribing or leaving us a rating on Apple Podcast. And as always, thanks for listening.